Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. When a client sits in your chair, one of the most important things that you can do is listen to them. I mean, truly listen. I think this is such a fundamental part of being a stylist or a therapist. Our technical skills are paramount, of course, but what's almost equally as important is our ability to make a client feel seen and heard. In our industry, we often joke about multiple hats that we have to wear, counselor, of course, being one of them. But I truly think allowing the client a safe space to chat about whatever they please is one of the best superpowers at our disposal. That's why I've invited someone who has pioneered this idea into a powerful movement to join me today. Matt Brown is an internationally acclaimed barber, not to mention published author, TED Talk speaker, Uh, and mental health advocate. Matt is the founder of New Zealand's barbershop, My Father's Barber, and the co-founder of She's Not Your Rehab, a movement inviting men to acknowledge their own childhood trauma and to take responsibility for their own healing so they can transform their pain and support others. Today, Matt is going to share his personal journey alongside some meaningful lessons, all listening, all about listening, and the importance of prioritizing mental health, listening, and understanding. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Very pleased to have you. Thank you for having me, Larissa. You're so welcome. Let's start with, uh, well, who are you, Matt? Where are you in the world? And give us kind of a high level of, of what's the story? How did you start your career and what are you doing now? Kia ora, so I reside in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, in a city called Christchurch. I have a barbershop here and another barbershop up in the North Island. New Zealand's obviously split into two two islands, North and South. Um, I was a joiner by trade. I left high school and became a joiner. I loved um, the introvertness of the job, just keeping to myself with um, using my hands to create things. And then I fell in love. I fell in love with barbering. Obviously inspired from black culture, watching hip hop videos and seeing all that my favorite artists with their cool hairstyles. And so I had always been cutting um, the boys in my neighborhood, the boys at school there here. And so it just, it was a natural thing to transition then into cutting hair full-time. And so I started in my, in a little garden tin shed in my backyard where I grew up and I was just cutting the boys in the neighborhood and that eventuated to me owning a barbershop today um, or two barbershops today, becoming a business owner and barbering has just, has been the vehicle for me to have amazing, beautiful, profound, deep conversations with, with men who are obvious, sometimes are left out of the conversation when talking about, um, you know, mental health, domestic violence. And so this barbering has just, um, yeah, manifested into this beautiful movement. My wife and I have um, started called She Is Not Your Rehab, which we now um, take barbering into prisons, teach men um, the tools how to cut hair. So when they come out, they they have um, access to finding a good job. 
um, but also having conversations with these men about their traumatized childhoods and their upbringings, um, because I believe me myself, who grew up in a, a family of domestic violence, you know, and watching my father go through prison, the prison, you know, I am. Um, I was always that kid at home who waited for his dad to come home and be a better version of himself, be more healed. Um, and unfortunately for us, that wasn't our case. And so we take our program into prison and teach me how to cut hair and have these conversations because um, I know that there are children on the other side waiting for them when they come out. And so we just want them to be more equipped, better versions of themselves, to be the fathers that they've always desired to be. And so, yeah. Currently, he have just written the book. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Siri. <laughs> oh, sorry. Currently, we've just written the book, and um, we wanted we wanted it to be um, as accessible um, as possible for for a lot of people who don't have the means to um, go and see a therapist. Um, for a lot of the men that I that come and see me daily for a haircut, you know, these guys would rather spend. You have two options: spend $120 to see a therapist, or $120 to go on your groceries to feed your family. Most are gonna, you know, put their mental health on the back shelf and look after their whanau, their family. And so, we wrote this book. Um, I don't believe in a one size fits all, but I, I hope that it gives men hope and it shows them a different window to life that it is possible to to be your best self and live the dream life or whatever that you want to be, um, and change the narrative. So, yeah, I love that. It gives that gives me goosebumps. Um, I'm really interested in the kind of the the early beginnings of this movement and how uh, how it started from the barber's chair and the conversation that you were having with men. Um, uh, yeah, how did how did that kind of start? Where was the what was the early seed for that? Obviously, you've got your own story and your own journey that you were part of, but to take that and actually. Uh, plant the seed and it becomes something else. I'm really interested in the, in the beginning part of that journey. Yeah, I mean, my first experience with a barber shop was at the age of 10. You know, for most of us kids, or us Polynesian kids, our fathers were our first barbers, um, cutting out hair in the backyard or in the garage. And so one time my dad's, um, you know, his scissors were blunt and, and no longer could cut our thick Polynesian hair. He took us to the barber shop. <laughs> and I remember walking into that, um, atmosphere you know it was so it was such a cool vibe and, and it was packed full of men I, I was a little um, introverted kid so I was quite shy um, but I was excited because you know this was my opportunity to have a different hairstyle other than a bowl cut <laughs> and so I remember asking the barber when my dad told him you know short short back and sides please um, and my dad walked away I told the barber you know can you please make me look like the rock and give me his um, big sideburns and you know the the barber had a little chuckle and cracked up and, you know, within 15 minutes, he made me look like the rock. I had these cool, thick ass sideburns um, and I thought I was the man. I thought I was the coolest kid in the world. Um, but, you know, the overriding feeling I had when I, walk away, when I walked away from that barber shop that day was I felt seen. I felt important. You know, this man really seen me. And so that feeling stuck with me as a 10 year old. Um, all the way to my adolescence years, you know, now to now being a dad myself. And I wanted to almost kind of um, re repeat or reimagine that feeling or recreate that feeling for other men that's um, boys that sat in my chair. So when I got into the barbering, cutting in my little sheet, I was just cutting the boys in my neighborhood. And 
the change, the aha moment for me was when I was cutting this young boy named Liam. Um, he was a young adult, uh, about 18. And I remember cutting him and, you know, after a haircut, you show your client the hair with a smaller mirror behind them, um, using the reflection in the mirror. And I remember Liam looked up and stared into that mirror for the longest time. And then he just started to cry. He just started crying and I asked him, oh, why are you crying? And Liam said that he had planned for this haircut to be his final haircut, as in this haircut was the haircut for his funeral after he would take his own life. And my heart, my heart obviously dropped and I couldn't do nothing, but just, we just started, I just started crying with them and I grabbed them and hugged them. Thankfully, after our conversation, Liam decided not to go ahead with it. But I remember when he walked out of my little garden tin shed, he turned around and said to me, yeah, thank you so much for seeing me tonight. And I know he wasn't talking about fitting him in for a haircut. It was just seeing him. And it was from there I realized, man, this, this barber chair is, is more than just a place where people could come and get a good haircut. It's a place where people can come and start to feel seen, start to feel heard. And um, that they started this journey of having these conversations with me. And the more, the longer I've been cutting here, I've been cutting here now for over a decade. I've traveled the world and, and taught barbering. Um, it's taken me definitely you know, many countries around the world, but you know, I, the most valuable and precious trophies that I hold are these conversations that I have with these men. Um, and men are, are beautiful. You know, society often deems us as, you know just useless or mean or, you know, but uh, the, the conversations I've had with men are, are beautiful. And, you know, there's so many good men out there who are doing the best they can to show up every day and be better fathers, better husbands than they ever witnessed or received themselves. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. I love that, man. It, it nearly brought me to tears just listening to that. Um, what do you think, like this far down the track now, what impact has it made on you as a father? You've had quite a, uh, uh, I'm sure, a different upbringing yourself to what's happening in your own family. Talk to me a little bit about the impact that that's had on you and your wife and your children. Um, oh, these, the, the, my clients, these men, you know, they've become more than just clients. You know, they've become friends, brothers. They've become my teachers, you know, from, from all their stories and, and having the privilege and honor to, to talk to them as well as cut their hair. I've learned how to be a better father and a better, better husband through these men and their sharing. And I've always, um, I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. I've always been vulnerable with my own story of upbringing, of abuse, sexual, sexual abuse, um, physical violence. And I feel and I've learned that when I've been vulnerable of my story, it gives permission for other people to be vulnerable of their story. And in a realm where men, you know, to be a man is to show vulnerability, the myths of vulnerability is it's weakness, it's um, it's shameful. It's a hard thing to do to, to really navigate through vulnerability through vulnerability. And so it's been an honor to, to have such um, deep and profound conversations with men that have taught me so much more about myself. And whether you're rich um, or poor or, you know, you come from a, you know, a, a good upbringing or a different class system, all of us are more alike than we are different. You know, it doesn't matter what color you are or how wealthy you are, you know, shame does not discriminate. And that's what barbering has taught me. Yeah, amazing. 
So I would love to fill in a little bit sort of between this first experience you had um, in the chair and you've written a book recently, which I'd love to hear more about. But before we do, tell me what's, what are some of the sort of major events or uh, opportunities that you've had to share this message? What does that look like for you? You've mentioned traveling around the world, um, speaking, like what are some of, the, some of the highlights of those opportunities? And I guess ultimately I would love for our listeners to be able to uh, know how you're supporting and, and working with this movement and get involved, I guess. Yeah, um, well, in 2000, I've always, uh, we've, me and my wife, um, when we, we started, we, my wife has a background in events management. And so she had this idea of, you know, I was doing hair art. When I first got into barbering, I, I seen some art on YouTube from America and people were doing portraits of people on their heads. And so I try to reinvent one a, port, a picture of my favorite rapper Tupac, and um, I uploaded that to Facebook. This took this took this took me like two hours because you know Tupac gone wrong could have easily easily ended up looking like Shrek. Um, so when I uploaded onto um, Facebook, the official Tupac page in America shared my work, and I woke up the next day and it had over a million likes and shares. And you know, coming from Christchurch, New Zealand, I just thought, wow, this was back in 2012 um, when Instagram just kind of started out and it blew up my you know that's when um people started noticing my work and barbers from all around the states were messaging me even Tupac and Biggie's barber messaged me a barber by the name of Darren Lyons who wanted to work along um do something together and so we ended up touring New Zealand together and taught classes um but things just keep um evolving and I was then asked asked in 2019 to to take the TEDx stage here in Christchurch um, to do a TED talk. And I thought to myself, why the, what the heck can I share on this TED talk stage? These are people who are like researchers and scientists and people who are changing the world. I'm just the boy in the hood cutting hair. And my wife, who's my biggest cheerleader, um, who's always friendly reminding me, you know, you've got your own story. You get up there and you speak, you be the voice for a lot of the kids who grew up in your environment. And so I took that with me um, when writing this te my TED talk, which you can find on YouTube. Um, but I just talked about, obviously, my experience as a barber and watching, having many conversations with men who often hide behind masks. You know, we, we, we hide, we, as soon as we get up, uh, wake up and go to work, we put on that mask. You know, we've got to be the providers. We've got to you know, put the bread on the table. So we put on the mask. We can't be vulnerable. And so I just talked about that in my TED talk. And... And I remember at the end of the TED talk, I, I, I cried on stage, embarrassingly, but I cried because I was speaking for a lot of the kids that I knew growing up in my neighborhood who were walking around traumatized, whom society just sees as a drug addict or a drug dealer, or, you know, he's wearing a gang patch, um, no good for society, or my, or my mates who ended, up in, who ended up incarcerated. I was speaking on behalf of them. I wanted people to understand um, hurt people don't just hurt people. Um, that comes from a place of them themselves being hurt. You know, often we look at people who perpetrate violence as, you know, horrific abusers, um, you know, just horrible people lock them up. But we often forget um, perpetrators were often once victims themselves. You know, something's happened to them as to why they've gone down this path. And so I wanted to humanize that and, and it's just led on to bigger things. Um, that's the 2019 has been. I did my TED talk, which we released our co-papa, our movement 
um, called She Is Not Your Rehab, which is a, our invitation, our encouragement and call, call out to all men to take ownership, to take responsibility, that yes, your childhood trauma or pain may not, may not have been your fault. Um, most of the time it's not your fault as your children are innocent, but your healing now is your responsibility. And we need to stop projecting um, all our pain onto our partners and our children. So transform it before we transmit it. And so, um, yeah, which then led to uh, Penguin House and a few other um, book publishing houses reached out to us and wanted to explore this story and this co-papa, this movement. Because it was a global movement, people were resonating with it from all over the world. People were buying t-shirts left, right and centre um, because it just resonated with them. You know, and domestic violence is such a, it's, a, it's the hidden pandemic, I believe, you know. Doesn't matter what background you have, a lot of people are facing it um, behind closed doors. But shame is very, very crippling, as I said before. Shame does not discriminate, and so often people don't want, don't speak out. And so, yeah, I love that. Yeah, um, I think that's amazing that you know you put it out into the world and it's resonated so much and come back. The opportunities come toward you. Uh, to reinforce that message yeah what would you say would be some of your uh, keys to success because I think sometimes opportunity can come at people we don't always see it or see it mm. as an opportunity um, both with your barbershop and with uh, with this movement and then subsequently your book are there some key things that you would say these are attributes of yours that have contributed to success or that you've seen in others that contribute to success? What would you say those main things are? Yeah, you see, I, I never got into barbering because I knew I wanted to be the best barber um, in the game or I wanted to own two barber shops. I mean, stuff stuff having that many staff. <laughs> Trying to manage, manage that would just be horrific. Um, but I really got into barbering because I wanted to connect with men. And I've always stood by that connection. Connection is the heart and the foundation of everything we do. Learning how, knowing how to connect with people. And for me, the biggest connection tool that I've found that's been the most helpful and worked miracles in my life is empathy. Just showing people empathy. And empathy is listening to hear, you know, not listening to give an answer, not listening to fix people. And that's the honor and privilege we have as stylists and barbers is having the opportunity to really listen to people and, and make them feel seen. And it's from there, helping people feel seen, where the little boy and me, the 10 year old that was seen and felt important, that changes, that changes everything, that adds value to your business. I always believe connection is, is, is the new currency, connecting with people. And so um, there's no you know, rollout to do recipe lists I have. It, for me, it's simple connect with people and how do you connect with people you be vulnerable you show up and you be courageous and you have conversations you ask questions um but most importantly you just listen you really just listen to people yeah i think that's uh i even just wrote it down that's really i think that is the opportunity that we have in, in this industry um is is the empathy that being present with the person and letting them speak and asking more. Is that 80, I always, we always had an 80, 20 rule at the salon. Like you, mm -hmm. you, you only do 20% of the talking and you let the client do 80% of the talking because this is their moment. This is the time that they've bought essentially. Uh, it's their time, not yours. 
Um, and so I, yeah, that's my favorite message, I think, is, is the opportunity to allow our clients to be seen and to be heard. Because for some people, um, that doesn't happen very often in their life. Mm. No, often and often not, especially with men, especially we live in a society where, you know, your connection is now based on how, how fast your Wi-Fi connection is, you know. Um, people are scrolling through on their phone. Um, and I, I like to come back to a traditional Maori um, indigenous way of doing things, and that's kanohi kite kanohi, face to face, which is what we're privileged and honoured to do every day when we step into the salon or the barbershop. We get to have face to face conversation, conversations with people who, who probably don't have this. You know, it's, it's actually research has shown that it's a rare thing for people to really connect on a conversation face to face um, environment these days. Everyone's on their phone, everyone's um, running the, the, the rat race, trying to put food on the table, pay bills. We often don't get connections. So that's one thing, one reason why in my barbershops, you know, I refuse to have any entertainment, um, no PlayStation games, no TVs. Like this is a place, if you want to do that, you can stay at home. If you want to watch sport, go across to the pub. But in this shop, we're going to have conversations. We're going to, you know, be a community. We're going to laugh. Um, and just take people back to the humanity, remind people of the humanity. I love that. That's really awesome. Like remove all the other distractions. There's plenty of places for that. The other thing too about actually having these uh, raw conversations is it's, we're one of the few industries that we can have these in-depth conversations, but quite intimately, like we're touching uh, somebody, you know, a lot. There's not a lot of other experiences um, or places that we go that we are, so physically close to somebody and have that uh, conversation so I love that you've intentionally removed the other things because I think in the attempt to create an experience uh, we do keep just adding on more stuff yeah. watch the stuff play with the stuff and read the things and you know uh, zip zap with your phone and QR codes and all of the things and so I love that you've just kind of pushed that away and intentionally replaced it with good old-fashioned conversation how revolutionary. Yeah, and, well, the thing is, I, I know it's not for everyone. You know, these probably people who guys who, who, who are just so busy, they do just want to, you know, shut out the whole world and just be on their phone. This is their one time they get to themselves um, where they can just be by themselves with no distractions. The kids are not yelling. Um, their partners are not, you know, reminding them to mow the lawns. It's just them shutting themselves out. And so I get that, you know, I get that there needs to be space for that too. But I, I, I you know, but for me, if you want to go to a barbershop where you are entertaining and just busy doing it, then sweet. Obviously, I can shut up and not and just let you be and not talk to you. But um, if you need somewhere to talk, if you need space to vent and, you know, vomit whatever you're going through to me, then I'm, I'm here to listen. And, you know, we're cheaper than a therapist. I always say to people, you know, for guys who, who don't have access to therapy, you know, here in Christchurch, there's about a three-month wait for a good male therapist. And that's how that's a long time for someone who's struggling silently by themselves. And for me, I think sometimes the haircut, you're the next best step before they see a therapist. You, the barber, you, the hairstylist, are the next best listener. And so it's, a, it's an honor, it's a privilege to, to be in this industry. So let's uh, take a turn to the barbershops for a moment. You've got two. Um, let's talk about. Uh, one, managing two locations, especially in, in two uh, physical different locations. But mostly I'm interested in, in this 
culture that you're creating and how you emulate that with the rest of your team because you can't be the only one having the conversations and doing the haircuts um so let's talk about two locations and then my second question will be well, how do you get that congruency with your team to uh you know live in your culture and make that come to life hmm, good question um again on the basis of connection it's I've always, I'm a strong believer, who am I to do this work with the men that sit in my chair if I don't do this work with myself and with the people that I work next to? And so I make it, a, um, we make it the most important thing in our barbershop to hold a, a weekly meeting. We, we hold a weekly meeting in our barbershops every Wednesday at 10 o'clock. You have to come if you want to be in this team. And we have hard conversations. Uh, for an hour or I get a guest speaker in to come and talk about something or a business person to come and talk about you know the boys taxes and business or how to grow your own business but for me it's just investing time into my staff and we do it every week if you're struggling with something let's open up you know how your week was what you're going through there's no shame here and so we, we've created that culture within our shop with each other where we can talk about anything and um, you know at least once a week someone's crying opening up all about that, what they're going through. And it's beautiful for to see tears uh, made a normal thing, you know, to see other men cry with each other and, you know, our, our, our woman, our female barbers in there, you know, talking about what it's like going through for them, being a female barber in a male predominant industry. Um, there's no conversation in our barbershop that's out of bounds. Um, and we respect everyone's mana, um, everyone's sovereignty. You know, we're not here to trample on anyone's sovereignty, but respect them. And so we have this conversation with each other and we do that um, with my staff and our other location on Zoom. Thank God for the internet. We can do that and connect. Um, but it's there, it's leading by example, I feel. And I've always, you know, I talk about some hard things. I share about some horrific stuff that's, that's happened to me. And so it makes my staff feel um, seen and comfortable that they too can be vulnerable and courageous with their own stories. And it's from, because we can do with each other and are safe, we then have the ability and the right tools to do this with the men that sit in our chairs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have, we have good access to a lot of good um, organizations here in Christchurch who work alongside us um, with three free therapists. So we run a um, therapy group in our barbershop uh, once a month where it's, it's you know, no closed door policy, anyone, no, no box ticking, anyone can come. We're not going to take your names down. There's no tick boxing, uh, box ticking. And uh, the, shop, the shop is always packed. It's always packed. <laughs> uh, I try and promote it um, the night before or else it's just going to be a full house. Oh, wow. Um, so this is open to clients, team, to anybody yeah. that wants anyone. to. Yeah, yeah, anyone. Nice. You don't have to be a client of our barber shop because um, we just want, we just want, um, I've always, me and my wife believe and we hope for a violence-free country, a violence-free world where, uh, you know, we we may never eat the fruit from the seeds that we're planting. My dream and hope is that my children's children will eat the fruit from those trees, you know, that grow, and they will sit under those sh the shades of those trees. Um, so, yeah. Um, I love that you have this long-term perspective because I think that's often... The lack of that maybe is what uh, stops people from continuing because we don't see immediate results. We want to uh, put A and B into place and um, we don't get C 
immediately um, and then maybe give up too soon? Is it, is it because of your long-term view that you've got the tenacity and the grit to keep going through? Um, yeah, I'm sure that's kind of revolutionary in, in, your, in your sort of the long-term view of your project, I'm sure. Yeah, well, you know, when you, when, you, when, you, when you become a business owner or you become a leader in any, in any arena, you have to be realistic, you know. Um, I've always wanted to be a leader where, you know, I want to help people fly, not just, you know, give them one feather and feather at a time. And, you know, you want to teach people how to fly themselves. You want to teach people how to go fishing themselves, not give them one fish a day to feed them, keep them hungry for more. Like, um, you want to create good people, good stylists, good barbers who are going to go on and change the world themselves. And because I, the truth is I can't cut every man's hair. And so we need to look at this as a collective um, industry where we're all showing up and helping the people in our community who are struggling silently. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I've had, we've, we've had staff who have gone on and created their own barbershops and multiple barbershops and other businesses. That makes me proud as a, as a business owner that, you know, my staff are, are that you know they have kids themselves who are looking up to these amazing dads and mums who are just getting shit done um, and changing the world. And so uh, it's, for me, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I've never been sure, you know, my inbox is full of, you know, 50 plus people wanting to come work at the barbershop, but that's because people are wanting real, they're wanting, they're wanting connection. They want to be in an environment where these conversations are being had. Um, and so, one barber leaves, then I know it opens up a door for another beautiful soul to come and experience the environment that we have created, you know. I love that. I want to I want to go back a little bit into your early days and give some inspiration to people who uh, say earlier earlier on in their journey. And you were talking about um, having your team meetings on a weekly basis and, and you've got a really strong culture about uh, and you've set it out clearly what it what you want it to be and how open you want it. Um, but it takes time to build that culture. And I know because I'm a business coach and I work with a lot of salon owners, I know often the resistance is how do I go from this culture that I have now into this vision that I have in the future? Uh, when initially, if you've got the wrong people on the boat, having the confidence to stand your ground, be clear about what it is that you want and where it is that you want to go. And there's always some resistance and change, right? And if you've got some people who you're trying to put forward and make change in the culture and stand for something and you've got resistance, um, because not, you know, it takes time to build a culture to have 50 people in your inbox waiting uh, when you've got a strong culture and cause. But right at the beginning of that, it, it's, that's not the way that it is. Any words of wisdom to the people at the beginning of the journey when there's fear about uh, standing strong on your ground because people will leave? Or not yes. like what you're doing. Um, I, I read a quote the other day from a barber brother over in the States. He said, people with nothing to lose will do everything in their power to make you lose everything. Um, everything that you've built, everything you have. And I believe that, I believe no one's going to love um, your vision. No one's going to nurture your vision better than you will nurture it yourself. No one's no no one else's name is on that lease or on that paper other than yours when COVID hits and you have to pay and shop all the bills. So we need to stop listening to people who are sitting in the cheap seats of our arena 
um, the most important seeds that I've learned from um, a beautiful woman in Texas called Brene Brown um, is a support section. All of us are fighting in this an arena. And if you're a business owner and you're starting out in this new arena of, you know, opening up your salon or barber shop or business, the most important section in your arena is the support section. Who, who's going to show up for you? And so for me, my support section had to be myself first. Um, the, the most important seats in the support section are compassion and, and empathy. And so there's no point us showing that support, being the support section for someone else if we can't be the support section, section for ourselves first. And so you have to be compassionate to yourself, be empathetic. And when you are being compassionate to yourself, you learn a thing called boundaries. These are my boundaries, don't cross them. You know, that's, this is me being compassionate to myself first. In order for me, then until I'm compassionate with myself, then I can show you whoever is sitting in these cheap seats or having their say, compassion. But I can't show you compassion if I can't show that to myself first. Um, and so boundaries is a, is a crucial thing that I've had to learn. You know, being a brown boy who just wants to help other brown kids who came from my upbringing of abuse and violence, it blurred my boundaries. You know, I would stay up all night and um, be tired the next day because I had to talk to someone on the phone or someone was struggling or, you know, giving away money because some guy was, you know, silly with his money throughout the week and chose to drink it all away. And I still had this showing up with compassion, but then I realized, well, that's taking away from my family and, and, and building this business, you know, being boundaries, you know, being Samoan boy, my mom used to always ask us for, for money and help, you know, when, when she was struggling and, for a while there, I had to say no, because I was trying to save every penny I had to start my barbershop. And, you know, at first I got resistance and pushback, oh, you know, you're not not really a good son, you know, you're selfish, keeping to yourself. But um, mom didn't, my mom didn't see the long-term goal. And so until I, then when I had a barbershop and built this business and, you know, more income was coming in through connection and giving good haircuts, then I could help my mom better. I was more financially free to help her. And then she she then realized, oh, now I understand, you know. But my mom wasn't saying no to you because I was being an ass. Like I was just having boundaries. This, this, this is the dream that I wanted. This is what I want to create for people in my city and give jobs. But that's going to come at a cost and it's going to come with um with clear boundaries. I can't be spending money willy-nilly here and there and helping whoever. So I love that. Yeah. Okay. Um that answered that absolutely beautiful because I think it is. It's not until we're clear about who we are as a person uh, and then com comfortable enough to set those boundaries for ourselves, whether it be a yes or a no answer, that we actually get to prosper and thrive uh, despite outside influences, positive or negative. So you've got, you yeah. got to teach okay. people, you got to teach your friends and your staff, like the people that you want around you have to be comfortable with a no. They have to, you don't want people around you who just want to hear yes all the time, like, Part of no is a very healthy and a normal answer that you're going to have to embrace for the rest of your life. People are going to be saying no to you all the time. The banks will, people will, you know. So I think no is a perfectly fine answer. And if you can't handle a no, then sorry, this barbershop's not for you. Because <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And actually, like I see it as no is actually a lesson. Like the opportunity when I say no to you is actually a lesson for you uh, somewhere. And I think if we can think about that, it makes the no easier, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, this has been absolutely amazing. Um, 
as a business owner, what would you say is a quote or a mantra that really keeps you focused and on the straight and narrow? Um, our mantra for our barbershop is, um, and it's always stuck the same because it's, it's what I believe to my core. And it's um, giving great cuts, giving great haircuts, inspiring great men. And so it's, it's simple, but for me, I, so it's profound because if we look for the goodness and the greatness in every person that sits in our chair, you can find beauty in there. You know, I've, 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 I've cut some of the most hardest, violent, you know, gangster men in my city, but I've sat there, we've stood, I've stood there while that, they're sitting there and we've cried together. You know, this isn't a popular business plan, you know, step one, get a barbershop, step two, <laughs> cry with your clients. <laughs> but for me, you know, if, if I was to listen to everyone that said, oh, that guy's a bad guy, you know, the stuff he's putting out on the streets, like, you know, why are you cutting his hair? But for me, it's like, well, the system hasn't worked. These men have been in, in and out of prison, in and out of jail, have abused their partners and done horrific things. I wanted to be someone that was, had a holistic approach, approached these men with empathy, acknowledged them, their childhood trauma, and just walked alongside them. And I've seen these men, you know, re-enter their children's lives, become present fathers, um, drop the game patches, are no longer in prison, you know. And I've had psychologists and people through corrections who have reached out and asked me, you know, what's your, what's the blueprint? What are you doing with these men? And I said, I'm just, I'm just showing them phenomenon. I'm just showing them connection. It's simple. That's there's no rolled out recipe to do list. And so giving great haircuts, inspiring great men, believing in the best. Um, and to finish that off, I would say seek to understand rather than to be understood. So always mm -hmm. seek if, if if the world lived on that, um, cope up with that heart, seeking to understand rather than always trying to have a say and give your viewpoint, like we would be in a much better place. I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, let's wrap up with your book. Tell us a little bit uh, about who should buy it. Uh, and then, of course, where can we buy it? Awesome. I think everyone should buy it. Um, not to plug myself, but for me, it, it's, a, it's my story, but it's years and years of conversations I've had with men through the barbershop in the chair. Um, it's, it, I wrote it for, for men who struggle to regulate their emotions and navigate themselves through, you know, hard, hard conversations and hard emotions. Um, but I've, a lot of women have read it and it's helped them. You know, we've had, we've, we've received hundreds of messages in our um, private messages, our DMs uh, about from, from women who have said, I thought this book was for men, but it's now made me understand my partner and why he's the way he is. And now I can help him and, you know, I can have better boundaries and not rescue him and enable him with his bad behavior, but I, can, I know and I now have the right tools to help him um, work through these things. And so the, the book's called She Is Not Your Rehab. It's, um, it's founded on my beloved mother who passed away last year in December, who was a victim to domestic violence throughout my whole childhood. You know, by the, by the age of 10, I had lived in every woman's refuge home here in Christchurch. Um, and mom always took my father back and I'd, I would always ask her, why do you keep going back to him? You know, like he's just, he's going to eventually kill you one day. And her response was, um, I really believe if I just take him back, if I'm just this good again, you know, he will change. He will, he will be better. But um, that wasn't sadly our case. And so that, that's where the She Is Not Your Rehab comes from. It's um, 
encouraging women to not be men's rehabilitation centers, but men to also take ownership for their unhealed trauma and take responsibility to do the work because our children are watching us. Um, but it's also inspired from my beloved wife, who's a boundaried woman who did not become my rehab and was someone that told me, your ass needs to go to therapy or you need to talk to someone to get help. I'm not going to do all the emotional labor work for you. And that was my first experience of like, oh, this is what boundaries feels like, you know? And so, yeah, I think everyone should read it. It's a, it's a good, it's a roadmap to, to healing. And we're not talking about healing with rainbows and unicorns. We're talking about hard conversations here of having to navigate through things that we have never talked about, the unspoken stuff that we carry with us daily and the masks that we wear to hide. Um, so yeah, there's a lot in there. And you can find it at local, your local bookstores. Uh, can we get it online? Yep, you can get it online. Um, but anywhere, the warehouse, Wickles, any any books, any store that sells books, you can, you'll be able to find it. And if not, just ask the person at the counter. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. All right. Uh, I know that people are going to want to stalk you, find you, and see what uh, this is all about. Where can we find you? Uh, give us your socials. Um, so Instagram at my father's barbers, my father's barbers, or our global anti-violence movement is at she is not your rehab, or just search up she's not your rehab.com and you'll find all the information there. Amazing. Uh, it's been a huge pleasure chatting with you today. It's been so inspiring. Uh, it's not often that I'm nearly in tears myself, so I appreciate the time that you've given us, Matt. Uh, I think you're doing amazing things. Thank you, Larissa. You can actually tell when you come across a, um, a good uh, hairdresser, stylist or barber because they're just good at listening. You know, I've done a few of these podcasts where you're talking and you're just a lot of interacting, but you're just sitting there listening to me. I'm like, Am I talking too much? Like, oh, I feel like I'm sitting in the queue. You're the stylist. <laughs> hey, uh, 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 you, you gave me a good lead to that. Uh, listen to understand for sure. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate Ciao. it. Bye. Amazing. That was a great episode. One of my favorites. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly appreciate you, your journey, the message. And I know that it's really going to resonate deeply with some of those listening today. So I appreciate that. If you want to find out more about Matt and the amazing work that he does, I'll leave all of the links to all of his info and the things that he gets up to in the show notes of this episode. So uh, you shall find it and you can click straight through. Be sure to check him out and uh, his amazing book. Otherwise, uh, I look forward to hanging out with you in the Profitable and Successful Salon Owners Facebook group. And otherwise, same time, same place, right here on the podcast. Ciao for now. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.